0: Hey, y'all. This is Stephanie Murphy, Global Assessment Analytics Director at Dell Technologies. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Gianocco.
2: and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in a fast-moving world, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. Her name is Stephanie Murphy, and she currently leads the assessments and analytics practice at Dell Technologies. Here, she manages a global project uh, such as Dell's Employee Engagement Survey, reaching over 140,000 team members and conducts research and surveys to improve Dell's global performance uh, management and career practices and develops and implements strategies for key executive solutions and validates the skills and assessments that are used to identify and develop talent. In the past, uh, Stephanie has served on different projects and uh, looking after as a project manager uh, at Aros Consulting, a university-based consulting firm, and she's gained both practical experiences from working with the Fortune 500 companies to non-profit and local organisations and research experiences from measure development to experience sampling methods and so forth. Now, Stephanie Holds, uh, I think it's a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of New Orleans and a PhD and an MA in Industrial Organizational Psychology from Louisiana Tech University. Hey, Stephanie, thanks and welcome to the show.
0: Glad to be here, Dennis. Thanks for having me.
2: Awesome. Great to have you here. Hey, tell us a little bit more. I mean, I've given a quick introduction to you or about you. Um, Just give us a little bit more about your background.
0: Yeah, sure. So I've been at Dell Technologies for about seven years now. And so as you mentioned in the bio, I lead our assessment analytics practice, which is very broad in terms of what as those, as those projects were that you mentioned. So I lead everything from our employee engagement survey to other listening tools to how we assess and develop our team members and just kind of talent in general. And so my background being IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology, means that I study people in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. so my goal at Dell Technologies is to figure out how do we learn and grow and listen to our team members and then evolve the workplace to fit their needs. And so we'll listen through surveys. We'll do focus groups. We'll look at assessment data. We'll figure out what assessments we need to understand our talent. And then we'll adjust and we'll, we'll, based on this feedback from our team members, we'll do things like, you know, like we mentioned the, the, the performance ratings. So Dell got yeah. performance ratings a couple of years back. And so one of my research projects was to look and figure out, okay, well, how do we motivate team members without a performance rating? So we did a lot of surveys and research at that point to kind of say, okay, we need something to motivate our team members. Our team members are telling us that having no rating is something that's different for them. So how do we provide toolkits and resources to leaders, to team members mm. in order to adjust to that change? And so that's just one example of the projects that I do, because there's a big research component of, of really just kind of understanding as the company evolves, how do we evolve with it?
2: Yeah, great. Oh, that, that sounds fascinating. I mean, I tell you what, I... Well, I've got a question for you very soon about how you actually got into the industrial organisational psychology or why did you get into that? But that's the that's question I've got for you in a second. Because, you know, travelling the world and going to work with a whole lot of leaders, one thing I really enjoy is actually sitting at these airports. I know waiting for airplanes is a long time and it can be boring at times, but I love watching people in the airports and just watching how they behave and what they do and, and so forth. It's just fascinating. So what made you get into industrial and organisational psychology?
0: Yeah, it's a very good question, and I get asked it a lot, and often (laughs) the answer is not as as, uh, well thought out as it should be. But I got my degree, my bachelor's in psychology, and was told by advisors that, you you know, you have to probably go and get a degree further, a master's degree or a doctorate degree, in order to get a, a really good job. The bachelor's in psychology is something that's sometimes hard to find good work for. Uh Um, I did some research and kind of realized I wanted to go into corporate America. And so I tried to find the balance, right? of like having a psychology degree, but wanting to go into corporate America and just happened to stumble on IO psychology, which is that perfect combination of studying people, but in the context of corporate America or work in general. And so it ended up just being something where I, I I lucked upon something that was really, really amazing for me.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. And, um, yeah, I think the the whole area that you're just talking about is fascinating in the sense that you know we we are people. I mean, life. Sometimes I say this, which is quite interesting. Life will be so much simpler without people, but you know we can't we, we can't do that, of course. But um, I think the thing here is understanding people and getting the best out of them is is what's really important. Is is that what that's all about as well? You know, understanding them getting to get the best out of them, and so then organizations will see the best out of people too.
0: Right, especially when you realize so much of our, our life is spent at work. So when you mm. study people and you study people at work, you're really studying the majority of people's life, <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. You do spend a lot of time at work, don't you? I mean, it's it's, it's really interesting how we do, and wow, it's pretty good. Hey, so over the years, you've, you've, you've been in leadership positions and that. So how did you get into leadership? Yeah,
0: it's a really good question, and this goes back to to my studies at grad school and looking at the research on leadership and learning that there was more to leadership than just kind of being in power over a team. There was this um, need to influence people. And motivate people, and how do you do that? Instead of like, even if you're not in a direct leadership position, and you might be leading a project or leading an agile team, or as we get into these you know gig economies, you might be leading something, a team of people that might not directly report to you. And so, Mm -hmm. as I studied in grad school, just about leadership in general, and realizing how broad the term was. Um, and how it it wasn't just, again, it wasn't just that kind of, I lead a a, the head of a team. It was really influencing, motivating, and finding strengths in your team members and building those strengths. And so studying it in in grad school and getting all the science behind it and the data behind, you know, what bad leaders look like, what good leaders look like. And um, you mentioned, I I teach at the University of Texas. And one of the things I asked my class is, you know, what does the first class, I said, what does leadership mean to you? And I have them just give me words and often words come up and I'm just like, huh, that's an interesting one. You know, the way we describe leadership is usually in terms of, you know, heading a team or being someone that's in charge or giving people direction and what to do. And it's so much broader than that. And so I think that was the intriguing part of it to me was that the influence piece, and how do you get people to do things and work in a certain way, even if you don't have that direct power
2: over them. Yeah, and even get them to influence in a way that they think they're coming up with the idea to then go off and do it even better. Um, I think that's that's a lot better as well. Mm-hmm. So for you, um, I, I have a lot of guests on, on the show, of course, as you know, in different episodes, and uh, both male and female. What has that journey been like for you as a female and um, as an African-American? Uh, so living in in the US, what's that journey been like for you in becoming a leader?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic question, and it's and it's different. And I and I like that you asked the question because there's a different experience, especially in America, being African American, and you know, with the history of of so many you know, of slavery and things, and ha- and so many systematic um, injustices. Making it to a leadership position in America as an African American female is unfortunately rare. Um, and so it's been really awesome to have advocates, I will say. I've had over my years, especially at Dell, I've had advocates in my corner that were people that saw my work, that, that met me, that knew me and were advocating for me on the back end of like, hey, have you met Stephanie Murphy? Or hey, have you met, you know, have you seen this person's work? And just having people advocate for me in the background was really how I think I got to, to be, become a leader, was having people, was doing good work, having people recognize it, and having people that weren't afraid to be those advocates for me in the background. Um, and not just in the background, but also in the forefront. Um, they have been obstacles in the sense where I often find myself having to break down stereotypes. I actually am a teen mom. I had my son before going to grad school and so I have beat a lot of statistics being African-American, being female, having being a teenage mom and then progressing to get my Ph.D. and then be a leader in a Fortune 500 company and a professor at one of the top business schools in the U.S. And so it's it's been defying stereotypes about myself time and time again and breaking down barriers and allowing my work to speak for itself. And so just kind of doing my best work, doing the best that I can and then after a while, people say, okay, I've had the stereotype of this person, but Stephanie doesn't fit it, you know, and kind of breaking down those barriers as I grow.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah, wonderful. So I've gone from teen mum to leader to professor. Wow, That that's a pretty cool journey there for sure. And the other thing, too, is I like what you said about that, you know, you do your good work. You just get on with it. You you do what you need to do. Go out there and deliver it. Bring your A game there and then, you know, come accompany that with the strong advocates that's that's a strong combination just out by itself, which is which is wonderful to see. Here's an interesting question for you. You may have several, but I'm going to ask you to choose one. And uh, so who's your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or it could be from history. Who's your favorite leader and why?
0: That is a very difficult question. There are so many good leaders out there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and this probably fits your previous question. I am going to have to go with Michelle Obama being my favorite leader, But I think, you know, for obvious reasons, because she is one of the few Black female leaders that we were able to see in my lifetime in America that was just very visible. But the main thing is what we talked about before in terms of of influence. She had several initiatives about, you know, eating healthy and Mm -hmm. getting kids to move. And she used tools like dancing or the latest dance moves that kids were doing. And she used social media And I found that she wasn't afraid to be transparent and she wasn't afraid to be vulnerable, even if she couldn't do this dance moves or she wasn't doing them correctly. And she wasn't afraid to be you know vulnerable in that state. And she was she wasn't afraid to to be on someone's level, to understand where they're coming from and relate to them in order to get kids and and other leaders and across the the world, right, to kind of align with where she was headed and to be a part. And really buy into her initiatives, and I find that leaders need to do more of that. You know that transparency and vulnerability is key to building trust. And when you trust someone, you'll you'll follow them.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I th- and I think the thing that you've just said there, which is being on someone's level and not being afraid to do that, is key. Uh, I don't care what who you are, what leader you are it is really important because I think at the end of the day, that's what people want. They're not stupid. They can see through you. if They know if you're not authentic. And so, as you see it, the keys to building trust is being able to be on someone else's level and not being afraid to do that, being vulnerable um, and and uh, and transparent, which is wonderful. Uh, I think that's the that's the best thing. I think it's key. I think that's the end of the episode, right? Really. I mean, it's, it's so good because because I think that's, that's how strong those points you've just made are. I think they they hit the nail on the head. It's just really, really, really strong. And um, I think uh, listeners, if you know, I think that's one wonderful thing that uh, Stephanie's just shared with us, the fact that if you can be transparent vulnerable, but be on someone else's level, I think that's been the relatable side of things, right? So it's, it's been relevant for them. We're, yeah. A-
0: absolutely. And it's, it's, it's the humility piece of it, right? It's like, You know, you're going to have a diverse group of team members, especially as the workforce is changing and, and as Gen Zs enter the workforce and you're getting more and more diverse, there's going to have to be an element of, one, I'm not the smartest person in the room. A lot, of, a, lot, a lot of people will be coming with, diff, you know, fresh out of grad school with degrees that are fresh with the book knowledge. And so re- recognizing they might know new ways of doing things and better way of doing things. So recognizing you're not the smartest in the room and then recognizing that you're going to have to learn where they're coming from. And that's that humility piece we were just discussing.
2: Wonderful. Hey, the show is called Leadership is Changing. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say that terminology or the title of the show, what does that mean for you?
0: Yeah, so I thought about this when, when I saw the name of the podcast, and it's really, there's so much to unpack there, you know, especially in the midst of the first time when the entire world is going through a stressful event together, right, with the pandemic, and everyone having to be the remote, or not everyone, but a lot of people having to, remove to move to these remote workforces where you've got global teams uh, all over the world on their computers, um, I think there's been, an, it's back to that trust element. It's it's how do you begin as a leader to change the way you you're leading your team where, that it, when they're not there with you, right? And so you can't grab them in the coffee room, and you you know you can't you know just walk up to them and, and talk to them about some feedback. You've got to set meetings or spend time or have phone calls, and so it's back to that trust element that you have to be, build relationships, and a lot of that is scheduling the one-on-ones and being on video calls. I was on a call the other day and I didn't feel like being on video because I hadn't brushed my hair, you know, and it's just a matter of sometimes you just have to do those things because seeing someone's face and having that direct connection can be really helpful. And there's also the piece of, you know, we mentioned earlier about just the the workforce changing and becoming more diverse. And after um, the recent events of, of like the murder of George Floyd and social justice reform, There's this need to under, back to understanding your team members and realizing that there's other things that impact them. And so, having to, as a leader, recognize that as me, my leader, as an African American female, my leader had to recognize this year was extra hard for me. I'm going through a lot more than just the pandemic, but also, you know, witnessing a lot on on the news that really impacted me as an African American. And so, recognizing when your team is going through something, I have an amazing leader who reached out and kind of was just like, hey, How are you checking in on you? How are you feeling? And there is an element of being personal that that I think we've been most the traditional workforce has kind of shied away from that. And I think there's going to have to be, especially as we become remote and we deal with more social injustice, there's going to have to be an element of leadership that is personal. As kids enter Zoom meetings and things, you know, that personalization is going to become more important
2: yeah and I think the key here too would be to check in on people as you say, but not just once. Do it regularly, because the thing is if you do it once, that sort of feels like a check a check in the box. Mm. I've done that, yeah, that's all good. But if you do it on a regular basis, I think that's really important too. And the other thing I think that the pandemic is teaching us, and other events as well in the world, all sorts of events are happening for all sorts of countries is that it's actually making us do a bit of a reality check that we do need to see how people are, how they're coping, where they're at with things. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of leaders who are actually emotionally tired. They just, that's been a big year for them. And, you know, I'm like, oh, so is Christmas canceled this year because of the pandemic? We're not going to do that this year. What are we going to do? I, th- I think you know because in this part of the world it's summertime. We're going to summer now, so mm-hmm. uh, this is when we take our summer breaks. And I, I think people are going to are wanting to take a, a break because they need time out. But um, I think we do, as you said, we do need to check in on people yeah. from all of our different backgrounds, right? Cultures, all sorts of things. I was I was interviewing somebody on the show the other day, and, and it's more about um, diversity again. But it's people with um, a disability, mm-hmm. and they're not being looked after well. Either, mm-hmm. and um, and so it's it's because we, we talk about diversity and inclusion, we talk about all these things. For a lot of organizations, it is a tick in the box, right? But they 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 talk about a lot of things, but they tend to forget about disability.
0: Mm, it's a really mm-hmm. good point. I was talking to a coworker the other day, and we were doing some research at Dell about being the only on a team. And from a disability standpoint, you know, prior to the pandemic, he was discussing how. You know, when they would go on offsites and travel, he's like, I was the only one that had to think about what will be my accommodations when I get there? Are we traveling on plane in the car? How will I get my wheelchair in? There were so many things that, you know, no one else had to think about, but because of him being, you know, having the different ability. He had to think through those things and no one else thought about them. And so there's this thing about being the only person on a team. I was talking to someone else in India. Um, She's the only female on a team. And she had to go. They were having this. And this is all before the pandemic. They um, they had to go to this beach. They were having like a beach party for like all the offsite. And she was like, uh, being the only female, I had to think about what do I wear? You know, everyone else was just like, okay, let's go. And she's like, well, I don't know, what do I wear? Do I wear a bathing suit? Is that inappropriate? Do I, you know, do I wear something else? And so thinking through all these things, again, I think as leaders, sometimes we forget those small nuances that we don't have to think about that other people may have to. That,
2: that is huge. That is huge. Mm-hmm. So listeners, uh, what definitely sharing here with us is the fact that at times, a fact, all the times, I think I have to say here, Stephanie, that we do need to think about not just ourselves, we have to think about the people around us, the people in our teams and what does it mean for them? However, there's also a balance too. I don't think that we can try and stop living or we don't try and stop doing things because we're worried about other people. We have to do what we need to do but take into consideration others. I think that's that's probably a key word to use is being very considered when you're looking at things uh, for sure. Okay, so that's a really, really, really cool conversation we just had there. Now, how has your business or industry changed? Because, and what demand has that put on you?
0: Yeah, it's a good question, too. And I think it, with the tech industry becoming more and more automated and you know, even with my space of analytics, the more and more software that gets developed that makes, you know, the manual piece of analytics become irrelevant. You know, it's like you know, there's so much more of an emphasis on soft skills these days. And I think leaders mm-hmm. as, and team members, as we become more and more automated, we need to be more human. And so mm-hmm. how do we shift our mentality to be human centered? You can automate things and, you know, I could ship, ship all my analytics off, you know, to a machine and not do any of it. But the insights about you know, what people are saying, there's the soft piece of it that gets lost in machines. And so I think the big shift is is more emphasis on those soft skills like communication, being human, you know, those things as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, team, if you are needing some help around the soft skills side of things, Phil, do feel free to go out, and check out things. Um, and I think that, you know, Stephanie, do you see a lot of organizations across the globe um, well around the globe, I should say. Um, do you see people or organizations or leaders actually understanding that they need to have more soft skills, or is it changing?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And I feel like there's it's there's a miss right now. I think a lot of people are missing the soft skill part as we focus on algorithms and machine learning and how we can be more efficient. I think we're forgetting to focus on the fact that we need to be human and not just efficient. Um, I do feel like it, uh, from a Dell standpoint, and just to toot our horn, we are doing a good job of, you know, focusing on, you know, we're doing inclusive leadership training. We did something on um, on during the pandemic on remote leading. And so we're trying to, again, make sure that leaders remember to be that human side, um, especially as we all go virtual. But I do think there's a piece that um, that a lot of companies are missing there.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm doing some workshops with, with, with people in relation to leaders actually leading, well, working virtually because they're forgetting that they've worried about everyone else and they've forgotten one thing, which is themselves. Mm. And um, so they've been out doing all this stuff with everyone else, but mm, they haven't really looked after themselves, which has not been good. Stephanie, if there was one thing you could change in business as, leader, as a leader today, what would that one thing be?
0: I think it goes back to that question I asked my 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 class um, about what does leadership look like and and what what does it mean to be a leader? I think we need again, softer skills there. I think being a leader is should be something that is more about removing word blo- roadblocks for your team versus just being, I'm in charge and do what I say. It's like, I will give you tasks to do and we will work towards a vision. And then you have the autonomy to go do. And if you hit roadblocks, I'm here to help you remove them. But that that should be the the persona of a leader, in my opinion. It should be someone that is seen as a roadblock remover that, that teams are going and doing. And that leader is just there to help them remove when they hit something that they can accomplish and they need it escalated and they need something moved out of their way so they can progress. But it should be where you're able to set the vision, divide and conquer, and then let the team work and then you're there when you need them.
2: Yeah. And and I don't know, I, I've worked with many leaders around the, around the world and I know that when I've got up to roadblocks with obstacles in front of me, those leaders that I have really, really valued and I have really sort of bought into are the ones who've been able to remove those roadblocks for me, um, and so I've gone actually the extra mile for those guys, uh, those people as well, you know, um, because they they look after me and and they've they they have my interest of being successful because overall it, overall it's all of us being successful as well. So I think that's really really important for for everyone to look at. Mm-hmm. So, you may have alluded to it before, and you know and I know, I mean, you you are an employee in a large organization. I've been employees in a large organization, and um, now I'm working for myself. And then there's, there's people that I, you know and I know that we get to work with all the time who are employees. So, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed?
0: I think there's this expectation of less hierarchy, I think as we go into things like agile teams and gig economy, I think we're going to start seeing where team members want less of I report to this person and less hierarchy and more, again, that to just someone that's there when I hit the roadblocks. And so I think there's going to be this shift where leaders need to not I guess no more power trips type thing, you know, no more thinking, okay, I'm in power. So I can just kind of tell you what to do. There's gotta be this, this, this kind of shift of how we even look at what a leader is, you know, we were testing out Adele agile teams and we've got a group, in our uh, products and operations that it just they have they're all over the place they don't have a direct leader and they just hop from project to project and different team members will lead the project and, but there's not like a leader of the team and so i think that's the way that work is starting to shift where you'll hop from project to project you'll have project leads but there won't be a direct leader and even as gen z and millennials themselves come in there is this want uh, for less hierarchy and for for more meaningful work and less of this you know traditional climb the ladder type mentality
2: yeah so more collaborative would that be another word mm-hmm. you would use Her- yeah? Yeah. yeah 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 so so less hierarchy more collaboration uh, so sort of things and uh, I think you're right I mean if we can do that that'll be great and, and you've seen teams start working starting to work that way I mean we've there's been teams been working like that for a long long time Um And they've been really good. I think it's just that the pandemic's forcing us a lot more. There's a lot more, too, that uh, people are expecting leaders to do more. Are you seeing, what about if we take the age group of, say, millennials? Uh, Are millennials expecting more from their leaders nowadays?
0: I think the expectation is actually less. I think they're expecting more feedback, I would say, but less um, hands-on leadership as we've seen in the past. From what I, just my observations I've seen and I don't have research to support, it seems that way. There seems to be more give me feedback on how I'm going and how I'm doing, but don't jump in and do it with me or for me. And so it's hands-off leadership with constant feedback.
2: Okay, cool. And, and have you, um, maybe from friends that you know who are millennials and so forth, have you spoken to them if they've left organizations, why they left an organization?
0: Oh, my goodness. That is a fantastic question. Yes. So I have actually talked to my class about this as well. And it's it's usually moral. It usually is, you know, when the I think there was an immigration ban that the current administration in the U.S. put out. And if leaders didn't speak up, I know coworkers that left companies because leaders didn't speak out against the band. There's um, team members that have left companies because they didn't feel like their work was having an impact on the world. There's this definitely need for meaningful work and in, in, in social justice that I think that um, the current generations are, are more likely to leave companies that don't make a stand on certain topics and areas.
2: How, how important, because you just said about leaders actually making a stand, how important is it for a leader to make a stand on something? Uh, I don't know if I said it the right way, but have a stance or actually say you know, certain things. How important is that?
0: Yeah, so it, it's actually getting more and more important and it's difficult. So in my, I teach diversity in the workforce and then the first class, um, we actually had a very heated debate because, you know, silence actually is seen as a non-action and seen as a negative And so a leader not saying anything can be taken a certain way. And so companies and leaders within them are in these dilemmas now where it's like, if I don't say anything, it's seen a certain way. And if I do, it's seen as a certain way. And if I say the wrong thing, it's seen as a certain way. And so they're in these dilemmas where you have to end up, you know, we've seen it, especially this year where companies have made stances on certain topics and areas and it's like you either say something or you're seen <laughs> – you, the, the silence is also saying something. And so even during these the time with the after the murder of George Floyd, I had team members reach out to me, and they're like, my leader didn't say anything, and I feel like they don't care.
2: Yeah, and then and then there's the other side. So, okay, I might say something as a leader, but you may not like it.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. At
2: yeah. least I've said something. Mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah. at least uh, people know where I'm coming from. Um, but then I think it's the how you say it, and it's what you say, but how you say it is probably more key than anything, really. Because I think you know, if you put it in a way whereby you're you're giving it from your point of view, then that's then people can understand it and where you're coming from. That's cool. But I think what happens is, as you say, people don't say it, or people say something that they think others want to hear. Mm. Or they do it in a way whereby they think that's because it's the proper corporate way or proper proper way to say it, and it goes back to what you're saying before. If they're not being transparent, authentic, and being them, people can see right through them, right? So there's a balance. There is an interesting way of looking at things, and um, you know, I, I I've I've grown up in a in a culture whereby my father is from Greece, and so Greece itself has gone through change with other countries around it, and you know, wars and things like that. And, and you know, I've, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen my grand – well, I didn't see him, but um, I, my grandfather was a president on the island that he's from in Greece. And uh, when it was during World War II and the Germans were after him and things like that because he was a leader, right? And so there's a whole lot of stuff that we all go through and that we all can do. I think at the end of the day for me it is if there's a situation, it's how you handle it. It's what you do. It's 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 how you take people also on that journey with you. You have to be mindful of everybody. Um,
0: so true, Dennis. And even like as you're talking, I was thinking it's there's an expectation team members have for leaders to say something, but there also needs to be an expectation on that team member as well. You know, yeah. I can't possibly know everything going on in the world. I can't. In a, in a global company, I won't be able to speak up to everyone on every issue because I can't possibly know that all. And I can't know what bothers someone versus not. So there is an obligation on the team member to say, hey, this and this is happening. Would like I might need some time off or, hey, this is this is happening. Did you know? You know, there's an obligation on the team member to also speak up on those things, especially because knowing the leader is only one person and can't, like you said earlier, we can't, you know, you can consider other people, but you can't possibly know everything.
2: Yeah, yeah, true. What makes a leader successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world?
0: Uh, I I finally
2: got got those words out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hands down, adaptability. I am being biased here. I did my dissertation on adaptability. I actually did a bunch of research to prove that adaptability in today's changing workforce was the number one thing that we need to look for in team members and leaders above personality, above, above fit, above cognitive ability. And I'm pleased to say I did get positive results and I did find that having a measure of adaptability was better than having a measure of cognitive ability or personality when selecting for an organization. And so uh, I do feel like being able to change, shift priorities. I mean, look, look at this year. I mean, we've had to shift everything. And it's key that you have people in key positions in leadership that can change and make those shifts in order to still be, and still be productive, productive in doing so.
2: Yeah. Yeah, great. Now, if I could get you to get your crystal ball out, uh, mm-hmm. to talk about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years from now?
0: So I was thinking about this, and this is a tough one because I, as I look at the research that I studied in grad school a long time ago, I won't say how long, <laughs> um, a long time ago, not much has changed about how we view leadership. The research really has at what I call old wine and new bottles. You go from servant leadership to inspirational leadership to all these different terms for it. At the end of the day, Leadership is putting your team before yourself and leadership is, is wanting your team to survive, setting the vision, uh, running your team to succeed, I'm sorry, and setting a vision. And so no matter how I look at the research for the last at least 10 or so years, leadership is pretty constant. And I can think to the future that it'll be the same.
2: <laughs> yep. Yes. Yeah, so next time you open up a bottle of wine, listeners, and you're drinking that wine, <laughs> think about what um, Steffi's just said there about uh, leadership, old wine and new bottles. I love that. <laughs> I think it's really good. Yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. Hey, Stephanie, um, thank you for joining us on the show today. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go?
0: Yeah, so LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me. I am also on Twitter at Dr. Underscore 4.
2: Excellent. Thank you. Hey, um, well, once again, thanks for joining us on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: I appreciate you having me, Dennis.
2: Great. Thank you. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is Im- incredibly scary, especially with the unknown the unfamiliar territory. It is time to adapt in a fast-moving world when leadership is changing. So look out for the episodes as they're being uh, released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me on the show or if there's a question you'd like me to ask my guests as I interview them each week or if there's a question you have for me on the Ask Dennis episode, then feel free to send me an email Dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey team, great to have you here on the show with us today and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for joining. Bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.